Hi everyone, welcome to Figure It Out, the podcast where I get cancelled for being right. <laughs> Not yet, just just assuming after this episode. That's um, how we're going to start name is... every episode now. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, but today might be the day, I guys. it's coming. I'm hopeful. Um, my name is Marlena Arjo. I live in Portland, Oregon. I have a cat, and I study this, so you should just take my word for it when I when I say things in this episode. <laughs> the, the source is you. You have. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. Uh, my name is Lina Fredström. I live in Stockholm, Sweden, and I will be talking about Stockholm, Sweden today. Um, and I work in public policy. Uh, but not related to this. I don't have any expertise on this. I just have opinions. <laughs> but I'll gladly share them. So we're talking about <laughs> the criminal justice system, really. I think our our big theme was uh, retributive justice versus rehabilitative justice. But there'll be all sorts of talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always have kind of a loose... Um... Yeah. <laughs> idea about a word or two and then we yeah it's like free association until like <laughs> we get at least a page worth of information we're like okay i'm ready <laughs> as soon as i've written the word women yeah. or feminism i'm like yeah, yeah i got something <laughs> this is an analysis yeah. <laughs> but i haven't today but i'm hoping it will still i have like a really yeah, actually, vague like i believe the justice system should <laughs> Um, I'm talking about pedophiles, but not women today. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be inclusive. Real turn. <laughs> you could talk about female um, criminals, but there's so few. <laughs> I would like to do an episode on women in the justice system. Yeah. Like battered women syndrome and the way the justice system treats sexual assault. But that's not today's episode. No, no. Yeah, we could do that. That could be interesting. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think this... Um, do you think that this will be a fun episode? I have a hard time seeing her, like, us <laughs> laughing a lot. I mean, I think it'll be fun for me. <laughs> because I, I love <laughs> to talk about this. <laughs> but, like, it's kind of like a conversation under at parties. And people are like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I, I study forensic psychology and they're like oh that's so cool like we start a conversation and then like five minutes in, i'm just yelling at them yeah. and they're like i'm gonna go grab another drink <laughs> yeah yeah it's um maybe because especially in a u.s context you're kind of yeah out there i guess yeah um i mean like in terms of people that study this i am like Right in line with all the views of anyone who knows the research. Yeah. But in terms of, like, American citizens, I am, like... Like, I was bullied by by teenagers on TikTok the other day. What? <laughs> because, because I said that a corrections officer shouldn't be, like, making huge assumptions about serial killers. <laughs> and I was like, hey, maybe don't do this. And then, like, all these teens were like... Fuck you, are you stupid? Google it. And I was like, I don't need to Google it. I study this. I've read the research. 
Don't tell me to Google this. <laughs> Wait, what was the what was the context for this? I saw this TikTok. This guy was like, I was in prison and my roommate was a, a serial killer, but he was really nice to me. And then someone in the comments was like, I'm a corrections officer and like serial killers are so good at masking because they don't have real emotions. And I was like, well, this isn't true. Like, <laughs> don't say this. And then like all these, I can only assume like teens were like, what do you mean? This isn't like Google it. The information's out there. And I was like, the Google search is out there, but like, have you read the information? Because <laughs> I've read it in depth. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you just like if you Google like our serials <laughs> psychopaths, it might say yes, but that doesn't mean like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go to like JSTOR and maybe like read the first article that pops up there rather than like a <laughs> Google search. Like, like look for a .dot net at least. <laughs> 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 yeah, so this is uh, you're gonna have to link this episode to them. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> hey guys, the I found this section. really cool podcast episode. <laughs> you guys should listen to it. <laughs> that would be fun if we got a TikTok following, maybe. Incarceration ostensibly has four main goals: uh, retribution, incapac- incapacitation, no, capacitation. <laughs> deterrence and rehabilitation and as this quote says the US prison system passes the two first uh, goals so retribution and incapacitation Incapa- mm-hmm. I'm just incapacitation. Gonna, you're gonna you're gonna understand what I mean <laughs> but they fail abysmally this quote is so filled with words I don't understand <laughs> but it they fail on deterrence and rehabilitation is what I want to say um, and in comparison, the Swedish uh, criminal justice system has in the past largely been focused on deterrence and rehabilitation. Um, and the, this is a quote from 2014, where the director general of the Swedish prison and probation services um, was talking about the Swedish prison system. And he said, well, it has to do with whether you use prison as a first option or last resort and uh, if you want to how how you kind of want to view people who are put in jail or prison Uh, some people have have to be incarcerated but uh, it has to be the goal for them to get back out into into society in better shape when they than how they came in Um, and that idea has shaped a lot of the um, prison uh, system in Sweden. Um, this is all so beautiful and sounds so good. And I'm like, what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you guys not just like, okay, great, we've solved it, we've done it? <laughs> I'm gonna. It's gonna be immigrants. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be immigrants. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna nuance that for you. But. Um, yeah, and so when this, uh, it was just an article, but when that was published in 2014 or 15, um, they said that this focus on rehabilitation has reduced recidivism yes. uh, from 
2% to 29% over the last 16 years. Uh, and that can be compared to the recessive. Rev- Wait. Oh, do you have the US recidivism yeah, rates? Yeah, yeah. Okay, All great. Right. I really wanted them. Here here it says 68%. But okay. this is in 2014 or 2015. Uh, okay. So it's 29 versus 68. What sounds better to you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and just to kind of like give a more of a visual of that, what that looks like, what a prison that um, is focused on rehabilitation looks like. Um, it has common areas with table tennis, pool tables, steel darts, and aquariums. Prisoner or uh, art ornaments uh, are painted uh, on the walls with mild greens and browns and blues. Um, but the most profound difference is that correctional officers fill both rehabilitative and security roles. So each prisoner has a contact officer who monitors and helps advance progress towards return to the world outside. Um Okay, I have a question that you probably don't know the answer to. Try. Um, what kinds of collateral consequences come with a prison sentence in Sweden? What does that mean? <laughs> what is a collateral? <laughs> like, after you're released from prison, what are the continuing consequences of having been in prison? Like, is it on your permanent record? Have you lost, like, years of education and, like, workforce time that will affect your ability to get a job? Do you face, like, discrimination from other citizens? I think um, I'm not fully sure. And I think it depends, of course, on how long you've okay. been in prison and, and such. But, like, you are, you, it will be on your record and you won't be, like, for example, if you've been in prison for something related to like violence you won't be able to work with children in the future or like if Mm -hmm. you've done like sexual crimes against children but like there's no okay wait so is that that is only found out through a background check though that's not public information no 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 that's if you okay are applying for a job and they ask for a background check then you'll have to submit that but no it's not it's it's not nothing like the the u.s system of a sexual the offender yeah u.s system yeah, yeah. no um and i think that's good and then i think like i mentioned earlier with the um, the like multiple slander cases in sweden right now where like people are um also sentenced to like uh, not maybe not prison sentences i think there are a couple of prison but like are are um themselves becoming criminals for like mentioning the fact that they have been abused by someone um mm-hmm. doesn't it have to be untrue to be slander though no not in swedish <laughs> okay well, that's a major difference yeah. <laughs> as long as it's like something that's bad for people or like for the person oh my god yeah i know it, it's insane but it's like yeah, this person has so you, is a sent has been sentenced for raping me. You can be like, me. yeah, I was assaulted, yeah. but I can't tell you who did it. Yeah, exactly. And like, it doesn't even like, it, it, even if I'm like, when I so there was a famous case. Now I wanted to bring this up, but I didn't. I didn't have the, all the facts. But there was one woman who worked at a gaming company or like a game, and she was sexually harassed by like she had a, like a relationship with her boss, and then it got really uncomfortable for her, and she like. Um, 
accused him of something. And I think he was sentenced for like some kind of sexual like harassment. Um, and then at some point, like later during like, you know, some kind of Twitter, like not me too, but like when people were sharing mm-hmm. exper- experiences, she was like, this happened to me um, when I was working at this place. And like, she didn't mention who like his name or anything, but it was still like, mm-hmm. my boss uh, did this. And then that got her like a huge fine. Like she had to like, <laughs> God. and she's like in a really rough shape now financially because she had to pay for that. And she didn't like, and she was like, my point was not to like call him out even. I just wanted to share my experience and like the the gaming, I mean, within the Swedish, like it, it's a small world so people can figure out who it is. But like, should that mean that she can yeah. never speak about her experiences? That seems like something that isn't beneficial. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> but I guess it, uh, in a way, if if this this week's focus is on why people shouldn't be judged for things they've done forever, then I could see it being good that you can't like constantly bring up someone's background in that way. But then, like that could be accomplished through a harassment law. Yeah, very true. Like you can you can mention it once in a way that's not harassing the person, and you shouldn't be fined. No, I completely agree. And like, especially if it's like almost, I think working as like a warning to others to be like this person hurt mm-hmm. me and like he's still out there kind of yeah doing similar things and i want people to like not put themselves in that situation if you're like in a and a lot of this has been like also in like uh, private like facebook groups but it's still been seen as like this is slander and you're uh, a criminal now wow. so this is a parenthesis this doesn't really apply to to what i'm talking about but uh, the idea is that the Swedish prison system has been focused largely on uh, rehabilitation and creating like a space where you are somehow given the opportunity to go back into society. And a lot of it is like maybe you can train for different skills and uh, do like little workshop uh, projects while you're in prison. And I think you can do that in the US as well. Or like you mm-hmm. work with different things. So in a way that's similar. But um, mm-hmm. the idea has for long been that you should be able to, like, kind of um, get back on track. You're not a bad person. And it's been very clearly effective. Yeah. Which is the most painful part about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now to say something about the shift, because there is a shift and it's not it's not fully there yet, but it's it's happening. And I think for that you need... a. Uh, bit of a background info so like in many countries in Europe and also in the US I think uh, there's been an extreme um, right movements in politics so nationalist uh, kind of ultra conservative misogynist xenophobic um, ideas are kind of um, becoming more and more popular and there's in Sweden there's the Swedish Democrats which is a uh, a political party that grew out of a neo-Nazi um, movement in the 90s and they've cleaned a lot of that out of their like uh, agenda for now but it's still the same like a lot of them are the same people who were out just Heil Hitlering in the in the 90s which is 
uh, insane. It really makes you reconsider free speech laws. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, when this, when this party first, I think they first came into the parliament in 2010 or 2014, not sure. Um, but at the start, the more, you know, moderate right-wing parties were kind of hesitant to work with this, um, ultra conservative nationalist mm-hmm. xenophobic groups. But <laughs> as time has moved on, they have now fully embraced uh, this way of understanding the world. It's become a lot more popular to see uh, immigrants as a threat and the Swedish national state as under um, attack and all that jazz. Uh, And it's... um, Yeah, so right this fall, the the budget-like proposition or like the budget for next year for... Uh, the government was uh, written up by the moderate uh, right wing, the Christian Democrats, who I still don't Mm -hmm. understand why why they're still there, (laughs) and the Swedish Democrats. So there's a right wing alliance forming between those parties. It's really so sad that like, like we have global warming, like we have this whole issue we can be dealing with. We don't need to do Nazis again. Mm -hmm. Like, we can just focus on the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but they're, they're doing the opposite. They were like, yeah, we're actually going to remove all of these <laughs> investments you wanted to do for, like, climate change. We're going to say no to that. And we're instead, we're going to, like, lower gonna taxes for, <laughs> for gas. Um, so, real oh. bad time. Um, but I think it's also good to acknowledge that um, this shift in politics correlates with a change in the crime scene of Sweden. Uh, but first I wanted to say that like the 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 rhetoric or the like discourse that the this um new right wing um coalition or um, whatever you want to call it is kind of like using is this idea this very like you know macho idea of us needing to toughen up and fight the war against the bad guys and, you know, uh, strike down the criminals. Uh, That's how they got us too, tough on crime. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just going to be a... You're going you're gonna to know the story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then what is also good to know is that Sweden... Ha- uh, the, the crimes in Sweden have gotten a lot worse. Or with except... Like, a lot of crimes have reduced or like in a lot of categories crimes have been mm-hmm. reduced the last couple of years with some exceptions uh, being shootings explosion or like bombings mm-hmm. and I think also rape but that's because we toughened the law on rape so now you need like actual consent and that includes mm-hmm. more uh, cases um, and so but Still, internationally, Sweden remains exceptionally safe uh, with a murder rate uh, only fifth of America's. Um, but there has been a surge of like gang crimes and, and kind of gang wars um, that has created bad violence. There, yeah, there were 163 shootings in 2020. And... Uh, 
20 people were killed and I'm not sure what the number is for 2021 but I think it's gotten worse mm-hmm. um, but a study in 2018 found that a man aged 15 to 29 in Sweden is 10 times more likely to get shot compared to Germany uh, so there is um, uh, a gang crime um, surge that is obviously a problem um, because a lot of a lot of people are being killed and that's really bad. I just I love that they're like okay so crime rates are going up unrelated to our justice system so let's change the parts of our justice system that work and make them like completely worse in a way that's backed by research. Yeah exactly it's just like uh, insane. But either way, uh, while a vast majority of this violence affects only those who are like actually active in these gangs, there are exceptions and more and more civilians are kind of being hurt by it. So there was uh, a, w- or a girl in the 2020 uh, who was shot and killed, a 12-year-old girl who was just out walking her dog. And then this summer, two young children were shot playing in a playground. Uh, and those things obviously again kind of like raise the stakes of like of obviously we need to do something about it because it's mm-hmm. uh, very like in daylight shootings in in like um city centers and stuff and what should we do about it well the right wing um or this is the center right moderate party is what they're calling them in this article um but i'm just going to call them the conservative right wing but but they're not the worst ones they're but they're now collaborating with the swedish democrats so they're they've they've uh, toughened their way of talking about this but they want to follow the danish model um uh, and they compare um there were there were some swedish gang members uh who committed a murder in denmark uh, a couple of years ago and then they were, they were sentenced to 20 years in prison in Denmark, whereas in Sweden they would have only gotten four years in so in the social institutions because they were under eighteen. Um, so they want to like, and they're really keen now on like we need to because in Sweden you're like you can't be punished for crimes uh, if you're under fifteen. You can't like be sentenced for any like crime. I think like I mean you can get. Uh, put in an institution or like some kind of yeah but um the idea is that you're a child i didn't even get into like juvenile courts and like juvenile justice but the like the evidence that we have that rehabilitative justice works better than punitive justice is overwhelming yeah but the evidence that we have for juveniles is insane yeah like not only do really rehabilitative methods work on juveniles they work better and like even non-incarcerate incarcerative (laughs) even like methods besides incarceration like community justice which i think is bullshit in all aspects other than juvenile courts is like super effective what is that like that's like making the um the criminal work with their victims and like mm. talk with their victims and like go to therapy with their victims. Yeah. Like it's it like there's no piece of evidence that says anything close to like juveniles need to be in prison. Yeah. Like everything says overwhelmingly like if anyone can be saved, which we have evidence they can, juveniles can absolutely be saved. Yeah. Very easily. Yeah. 
But I feel like they can also easily be... I mean, if you're... Say that these... I don't remember how old they were, but I say they were 17 and they're put in prison for 20 years. Oh, yeah, then, then your life is ruined. Yeah. You get out and you have no chance of ever living a normal life because they've taken away, like, your formative years. Yeah. You have no education, no work experience, no experience in the real world. Yeah. And they throw you out there and expect you to just be able to, like, reassimilate to normal life, which you absolutely cannot, and so you go back to crime. Yeah, obviously. But... Like, that's... <laughs> it's so... Yeah. <laughs> but that's the the, the kind of uh, explanation that this right-wing group of politicians would uh, use is rather that um, a lot of these crimes are connected to a certain culture that these people bring in. Because what I failed to mention is that these gangs are mainly uh, happening, like being formed in immigrant communities and they're usually children of immigrants. So so they are themselves but born gangs, in... Gangs are creative as a result of like poor resources, lack of money and like lack of acceptance by the rest of the community so target those things and give them like a a sense of community outside of the gangs and they won't form gangs anymore yeah i know but that's <laughs> not what the right-wing politicians would say they would say it's because of their culture that they have with them and the ideals that they have that they just have different values and they're generally more ruthless and cold-blooded and they need to be met with the same ruthlessness so we can't like coddle them we have to punish them and show them who's who's uh, in control but I think this was a really good point that like I read a so I'm I've I haven't read this book but I've read reviews of this book and it's called (laughs) um until everyone's dead I think and it's like a quote from the book it's so it it uh wait I have it somewhere it's written by a journalist called uh Diamant Salihu and he describes uh, one of the most deadly gang conflicts in Sp- Stockholm, uh, Sweden. Um, that was like, it started in 2015. And it was just like, it was, they were like high school friends, this gang. But then mm-hmm. one of them shot the other and then two gangs formed. And it's just been, um, a lot of people have died in that conflict. Um, but but he has written about like kind of what what caused this to occur in the first place, and you've you've been uh, in that <laughs> uh, you've been talking about it. But but the name of the book comes from like that um, he had like an interview with a policeman, I think, uh, or like a police officer, mm-hmm. and and he asked like, but how, when does this end? And he said like, well, yeah, when everyone's dead, <laughs> or like. <laughs> So all of them who who were first in the game, but the the problem is that the more people are constantly a great being outlook. yeah. <laughs> um, but going back to this review that I read of the book, uh, and the as a counter argument to this idea that uh, it's within the the immigrant community's values that are different than societies overall, this journalist wrote that. Uh, I would say that these are the exact same values that prevail in society as a whole nowadays. Money, power, elitism, and brutality. Collect expensive stuff. Sex as a metaphor for battle. Uh, One must win and others must be crushed. Uh, But the difference is that people at the bottom have no other means to achieve the same goal. Uh, And that those who are at the bottom end up in prison or in a coffin, while those at the top end up rewarded. Uh, and you can't have this like robber mentality on the, in the mm-hmm. top of society and then expect the, the kind of 
suburban schools to teach solidarity and and. Uh, and that's another thing I didn't get into is white collar crimes, which yeah. in the U.S. are like completely unpunished, yeah. despite the fact that like a majority of like financial loss comes from white collar crimes, not from like actual theft. Exactly, and that's exactly the same type of values that you like should <laughs> cheat the system and you shouldn't care yeah. about others and you should be ruthless and think of yourself and like fight others basically um but i want to yeah just like i you can guess all of this but i, I still want to say it uh i think what is important to understand is that this surge of crime didn't develop in a vacuum not like a vacuum cleaner <laughs> <laughs> it sounded really stupid yes. now that I said it, but it didn't. No, like... that's like a very normal thing to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I think I'm, I'm going to do a very small uh, attempt at an analysis of like what happened in, in Swedish politics and society over like the last 40 years. So at the start, back in like the 80s. Um, the, Swede- the Swedish system was kind of like we were a very homogenous welfare state, so there were quite few immigrants. So there was, you know, uh, most people uh, had lived their whole lives since we then grew up uh, going to Swedish schools, um, and there was generally a very stable safety net in place to take care of those who like became involved in crime or drug abuse or poverty in general. Like there was, uh, there were opportunities for you to kind of be taken care of. Uh, And one thing that has changed since like the 80s is that the population like kind of characteristic or the demography, I guess, has changed with more immigrants and people with parents from other countries uh, and cultures. Uh, So from like being a very clear Swedish culture, it's gone to like a more multicultural um, Mm -hmm. scene. But another, I would say, really important thing that's changed is the kind of privatization and basically destabilization of the welfare state. So hospitals and schools and pharmacies that all used to be public are now often run by private actors. And Hmm. quite notably, and I think this is quite unique for the Swedish system, these private actors receive their funding from the public, but they're still able to make a profit. So you get paid a certain Mm -hmm. amount of money for each student that you take into your elementary school or whatever but you can take out any any money that you don't have to put towards that student, you can take out as profit. But what is key here is I think that these two trends of like a more uh, diverse um, population and this privatization trend, uh, they intercept in a very unfortunate way due to a third factor that is uh, a segregation in like living. Um, so in the 60s and 70s already, Sweden built one million houses and apartments. They were It was like a big project to build a whole bunch mm-hmm. of new housing. Um, and I, I didn't really have time to go into what the projects in the US are. But I understand mm-hmm. it as quite similar. So they're quite poorly built um, yeah. apartment buildings. It's quickly built apartments for low-income yeah. families or individuals. Yeah, and that's the same in Sweden. Um, And the the fact is, or like, I think the key aspect is that they're put in a different part of the city or like outside of the city. And in Sweden, it's very like, it's, it's very obvious in the fact that like, there's a specific uh, subway line that goes to these areas. 
<laughs> so it's the blue line and like the red and green line are all mm-hmm. rich people and then the blue line is just um uh... the blue line is the train that i take into portland <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maybe you live in one of these places and you've just been there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were they weren't targeted for immigrants, but they were targeted for low income households and with immigration and a lot of like immigrants mm-hmm. uh, moving to Sweden for either like to seek asylum or for just seeking economic uh, refuge, kind of if that's something you can say. Um, mm-hmm. These areas became largely dominated by like an immigrant population. And with then the privatization of public services, these places quickly lost a lot of important public services. So schools in these areas uh, are the worst schools in the country and unemployment rates are really high. And like I said, they're very clearly segregated from other parts of the city. So uh, it fosters um, type of, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't use the word alienation because I'm not sure. Exactly, but but it 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 you don't feel a part of the Swedish community yeah. overall, and there's also a, a large sense of hopelessness in the fact that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get a good job and a lot of people don't make it out of these areas, um, and that's a quite fertile ground for crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Obviously, like we already know, this type of kind of complex societal change that's created these areas where a lot of people see no real future within society Mm -hmm. other than like becoming rich through being involved in crime. That kind of problem is not helped by uh, longer sentences or harsher punishments. Yeah. Um, It's like it's a it's a product of. Like a lot of children maybe having parents uh, with like war trauma that's kind of inherited down to them mm-hmm. um, and that, that the income and like class gaps are still very much increasing, uh, that there is no social services in place that can actually help out. There's a lot of like hopelessness also within the social institutions. Uh, and then there's also on top of this, this uh, macho culture that's present kind of everywhere but like in this setting it becomes even stronger where you glorify power and money um, and there's also an opportunity for older criminals to kind of exploit younger uh, kids uh, using them uh, to deal drugs or uh, commit murders for that sake in their um, in because these are very like closed systems it's difficult to to say no and stay out of um and i guess what i wanted to say was just that also this book found that uh, anti-crime youth projects which i don't i i don't have a definition for what that is but more preventative work in the suburbs have been found to have a very tangible positive effect so mm-hmm. despite it often being like seen as really like soft or as like woke nonsense, <laughs> it said in this article, um, by the especially by the political right, uh, it's it's actually having effect, uh, and that could be like, I try to just brainstorm, but I assume like investing in like sports activities or culture or yeah. just 
making the schools better like putting centers yeah yeah. um but the problem right now is that a lot of these projects are very short term so you do a thing over one or two years and then as soon as the project's over the progress stops and these kids are just as vulnerable to to ending up in these situations um so basically you need to just like deal with the underlying root cause which is the fact that people live in areas that are shitty and give them no like hope for the future mm-hmm. um and i wanted to wrap up by this is just this is just a reflection that i had and i think it might be wrong but i'm i'm just going to say it <laughs> and then you'll you can you can tell me if it's if it sounds silly but i think uh these like this very simplified solution of you know uh being tougher on crimes and fighting the war on crimes or gangs um <laughs> it um hold on it it it's become more of a like a feasible narrative in a swedish context because of these gangs um mm-hmm. so that's that's opened the door for it and then you can start by like talking about the yeah, well in say muslim people or immigrants in general they're more violent and uh ruthless and we need to fight back against that with the same kind of tools but it's it's i think it's spread to all discussions on crimes so so now we don't Mm -hmm. just see it as a you know a way to deal with these people and these criminals but a way to deal with, with crime in general um and i think that because obviously there's a vicious cycle like we talked about like if you're really young and you commit a crime and you're put in jail for years and years of your life and you come back into society and you have very little like trust in the system that that it's there for you since you were so early on um abandoned mm-hmm. by it then then that creates a vicious cycle for the criminal but i mm-hmm. also wonder if it like creates a vicious cycle in like everyone's minds just thinking about crime this way because when you see people as evil or like these criminals are like yes these are bad yes. guys you are correct and i agree yeah <laughs> uh, yes you're also like i mean and you can see that you're like yeah this 13 year old is a monster and we need to put him away uh but you also not only is this 100 correct but you were like perfectly segueing into my section <laughs> All right, that's perfect. I guess I have like two sentences to go and then I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it over to you. But I, and this is the part I'm not sure about, but I think um, you ascribe a ruthlessness to these victims or to the, to the offender or the criminals. But somehow I think there's like, in a way, you're also like ascribing some kind of ruthlessness or like bad vibes to like victims and society <laughs> as a whole. Because mm-hmm. you assume that everyone will want like retribution rather than forgiveness, and like you assume that people will want to spend a lot of public uh, funding on like punishment rather mm-hmm. than like rehabilitation and forgiveness, and like maybe just healing for victims. Like you could also have a system that's just like this person's gonna get a lot of like therapy, and like mm-hmm. where I don't know. Um, and I think, yeah. in, in as the opposite, like seeing people as like potentially good or like possible to grow, 
uh, or like having the potential to grow and seeing yourself as like a person that can forgive and heal from mm-hmm. uh, rough experiences that becomes like a space for policy to be preventative and when needed rehabilitative rather than punitive so like then you don't feel bad about putting all this money into these poor areas because you're not like we're feeding the the evil people money then you're like yeah we're investing in our shared yeah. <laughs> trust and like uh yeah like so society basically and uh, that's all i have but i think um it's a real yeah it's a real shame i will, <laughs> I will pick right back up yeah <laughs> because like yeah the this concept of like we have these new people coming in and committing crimes you're turning the criminals in that scenario into like others yeah it's like us versus them yeah yeah and i think that's a gateway drug into turning all criminals into others mm-hmm. and then once you have criminals and the rest of us there becomes a much higher need to protect the rest of us from the criminals yeah. and then once you've taken away their humanity the conversations of like how we can save them or how we can fix them become a lot less convincing and the conversations of like how can we remove them mm-hmm. become a lot more convincing yeah but my first thing is criminals are not inhuman. So there's a debate about whether or not people who commit crimes are inherently different people who do not. Mm-hmm. That's still going on and there we're still seeing new research in that debate constantly. And there is some evidence that there may be specific genes that are more common in people that do commit crimes, like especially like specific types of crimes like violent crimes. Mm-hmm. But even in cases where we can, like, find the specific gene that, like, a lot of people that commit violent crimes have, there's still no evidence that that, like, criminal DNA is what makes someone a criminal. And there are plenty of people that, like, will have that specific gene that end up not committing any crimes. Yeah. So even when we can find DNA evidence that, like, one kind of person may be more likely to commit a crime, it's not at all the deciding factor in whether or not someone does commit a crime. I kind of think that this kind of research is moot regardless of what they find yeah because everything that we have points to there being one sort of like definitive thing that makes people commit crimes and that's like circumstance Mm -hmm. um like if they have poor mental health or they have adverse childhood experiences they're in situations that are like that make them more likely to commit crimes or they have situations where they need to commit crimes that is first of all much more preventable and fixable than a dna issue yeah but it's also like what we already know increases crimes yeah and i also think that since we have multiple issues that we know of that increase crime rates that we could not necessarily fix but improve Focusing on trying to find a specific crime gene, like the, I think they call it like the warrior gene. Oh, yeah. Has been in pop science recently. Or like finding a crime diagnosis, like calling people like psychopaths. Yeah. Or antisocial, telling them people they have antisocial personality disorder. That's like borderline eugenics. Yeah. Like, that's not helpful. And like, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to like, when yeah. a child is born, just be like... <laughs> You're, we're putting you in jail DNA right now. And then <laughs> <laughs> euthanize this one. Try again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I want to talk about the term psychopath, sociopath, and antisocial personality disorder because they get thrown around. They get thrown around a lot in debates about what causes people to commit crimes. Yeah. 
So just start off the word psychopath and sociopath. I absolutely hate. They have, they're not in the DSM, which is the U.S.'s diagnostic manual. And so in terms of like U.S. debates, I don't know if, I didn't check if they're in like other diagnostic manuals, but in our diagnostic manual, they have no clinical significance. Those words have zero meaning in terms of actual psychology. Yeah. They also have no real definitive definitions. Like any website you look at will have a different definition for both of them. Mm -hmm. So it just in general, as general terms, they're pretty much useless. They're completely meaningless. And when discussing criminal justice and crimes, there's no debate on whether or not they have any meaning. Remove those from your vocabulary if you're going to talk about crimes. Yeah. What you want to talk about is antisocial personality disorder, which is in the DSM. And that is what people think they're referring to when they're calling someone a psychopath or a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the DSM pulled up and I will read you the full diagnostic criteria for it. Do it. Um, so antisocial personality disorder. Number one, you need a pervasive pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 years, as indicated by three or more of the following. Failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviors, as indicated by repeated performing act, by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. Deceitfulness, as indicated by repeated lying, use of aliases, or conning others for personal profit or pleasure. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Irritability or aggressiveness as as indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Reckless disregard for safety of self or others. Constant irresponsibility as indicated by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations. Lack of remorse as indicated by indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated, or stolen from another. In addition to three of those criteria, you need to be at least 18 years old. There needs to be evidence of a conduct disorder with onset before the ages of 15 years. And the occurrence of antisocial behavior is not exclusive during the course of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. What I think is important about this diagnostic criteria um, is that there's no mention of like a conscious conscience. No. Which is what a lot of people say when they talk about like a sociopath or a psychopath is that they don't have a conscience. Mm -hmm. That's literally not a part of the criteria because we can't make judgments on what people are thinking or how their internal thoughts go. The only thing we can make judgments on is their behavior. And so even within the diagnostic criteria, they talk about a lack of remorse, but it's very careful to say that it's indicated by being indifferent to or rationalizing having hurt, mistreated or stolen from another, which again is not, truly implying a lack of remorse only a displayed lack of remorse Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people when they hear antisocial personality disorder they think that that's what causes people to commit crimes or that's a disorder that makes people like want to commit crimes or not care about committing crimes but i want to talk about ngri laws or not guilty by reason of insanity laws yeah And this varies court by court because all these laws are local. But in general, most personality disorders are not even considered in cases of insanity. They can't even be brought to the table or discussed in these kinds of cases. Yeah. Um, So NGRI implies through its definition that the defendant was mentally incapacitated at the moment of the crime. And this will often mean like they were not in control of their actions at the time or they were in a mental state that made them unaware of the consequences of their actions or that their actions were wrong. Mm. 
if we cannot consider a personality disorder for an NGRI case, then that implies that legally antisocial personality disorder being a personality disorder cannot cause somebody to not have a conscience because a conscience is your internal guide to wrongfulness, rightness, wrongness and right and rightness. <laughs> but we talked a little bit about this in uh, when we, you talked about, I want to say his name is John Wayne Gacy. When, Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Uh, didn't we about just psychopaths in general, or like um, that, and and antisocial, or like that he couldn't plead yeah. that. Yeah, I don't remember how it's, it connects to this really. It's such a weird thing that like, I think so many people that like think they're into crime or people that consume true crime media, mm-hmm. they get really focused on this like calling people sociopaths or calling yeah. people psychopaths, and it's an extremely othering term, I think. And it, it really turns people into like this class of criminals and then like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at like the, the legal definitions for insanity or the legal definitions to, to claim that somebody has caused, has committed a crime that has been caused by their mental state, you can't assume a personality disorder as having been the cause of that crime. So legally we're saying like definitively, no, Antisocial personality disorder is not causing people to commit crimes. No. And, like, clinically, we cannot say that antisocial personality disorder is preventing people from having a conscience. All it is is a pattern of, like, antisocial style behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, literally all you can say about yeah. it. And so the, the leaps people make with this definition and the way it's used, I think, is very dangerous yeah so now i'm going to jump into why punitive justice is ineffective at preventing recidivism Mm. so the (laughs) the overall goal of the criminal justice system is to protect its people from crime yeah and so if you keep that goal in mind you can assume that the ultimate goal of punishment is to prevent recidivism yeah so there's other aspects of the criminal justice system, like preventing crime to begin with, but in terms of punishment, the true goal is to prevent recidivism. Yeah. But when we focus on retribution as the ultimate goal of punishment, we're acting against our best interests and in increasing recidivism. So in terms of incapacitation, which is an aspect of incarceration when it's used for retribution, um, The basic rule is that if someone wants to commit crimes and we take them out of society, then they can no longer commit crimes. Mm -hmm. And for some crimes, that is for some crimes, that is true. Homicide rates of offenders. Go ahead. We have a I mean, first, I was just going to say, like, for the the gang violence, I think there's Mm -hmm. cases that, like, if you put people away, then you kind of break up the, the groupings. And that can be a good way of, like, if you remove the leader. It can mm-hmm. be good. It can also be bad because then it becomes a, a fight for power. Who is the next leader? Um, and they've seen like a surge in in death related like or like death shootings connected to that. But yeah. what I was gonna say wasn't gang related. It was uh, there's a a, a py- is it called a pyromaniac? Uh huh. A pyromaniac at the dawn, I think, is or like gryningspyromanen in Swedish. But a, a guy who would. Um, I think in the 90s he was setting fires to a lot of things at dawn. So he was always active in like the early stages of morning. And he was uh, just a couple of months ago released. Because uh, mm-hmm. he had done his like, he had uh, 
But the thing is, like, the same day, he set fire to two things. <laughs> no! And everyone was like, <laughs> okay. That goes against my entire point. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, he's not ready to be out in society. <laughs> Sorry well, for that messed you say... up. But he, I wouldn't say, like, he feels like an exception to the rule. Yeah, a lot of people and a lot of crimes, you age out of them. Yeah. So, like, even serial killers aren't serial killers forever. Eventually they stop. Yeah. And so it is true that for some crimes, we can take people out of society until they're done and we can put them back in. But for a lot of crimes, that's not true. So one example I have, like drug dealers, if you take a drug dealer off the street and put them in prison, that's not going to stop people from getting drugs. That's going to basically like create a help wanted section for like drug dealers. It's just going to make an, an opening for new drug dealers to step in. Yeah. And... A lot of crimes, like theft, for example, tend to be need-based. Yeah. And so when you take people and incarcerate them and then release them back on the streets, you've given them even more need and increase their chances of recidivism. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to talk about deterrence. When people commit crimes, most of the time, consequences and morality is not their biggest concern at the time of the crime. And so most deterrence-based models of justice have been very unsuccessful. I want to talk specifically about the death penalty mm. and kind of go on a little bit of a tangent on, like, why it shouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to go on a little bit of a tangent on why it's good and why we should have it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, first of all, I kind of, like, this does have to do with deterrence, and I'll get to that, yeah. but I'm going to start elsewhere. Start elsewhere. Um, death penalty is by like all definitions, cruel and unusual punishment. You're, you're joking. Like you're, you're fooling yourself if you're saying it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it also due to it's like definitive, it's not really the word I want to use. Like due to the fact that it's, it's due to irreversible. Its no. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. It denies due process. Yeah. So if more evidence comes forward, if laws change, if like there's something that could save you later, it doesn't matter. Your due process is gone because you're dead. Yeah. And so like that's two strikes against <laughs> the US Constitution. <laughs> Maybe not the Constitution. I don't know. I don't know what's in there, but like it's two <laughs> strikes against like everything the US claims to stand for. Yeah. It's also applied discriminatorily against poor and educated people of color. Mm-hmm. So white people get it, like rich white people get the death penalty much less than poor and educated people of color yeah. or poor and educated white people or rich educated. We don't need to <laughs> <laughs> make all the combinations there. Um, it also squanders criminal justice resources like attorneys and juries that are wasted on endless um, yeah. courts to deal with death penalty cases that could be used elsewhere. And so it's actively taking money away from taxpayers just to kill people. Yeah. But most importantly, I think it does not work as crime control. It's absolutely not a deterrent. People don't in the heat of like murdering their wife think oh wait i could be killed for this Mm -hmm. and stop it just doesn't work another issue that i have with punitive justice is that it it really requires the punished or the convicted 
to be actually guilty of the crime they're convicted of. Mm-hmm. In order for punitive justice to have like any meaning, you have to be punishing someone that's actually guilty. And in the U.S., they're not. Um, the current statistics are between 2 and 10% of convicted individuals are wrongly convicted. Um, most of these statistics are low because it's very hard to know who is yeah. wrongly convicted. Mm-hmm. But even with, just with those statistics, that's up to 230,000 innocent people behind bars. Mm-hmm. And those people and are going to be excited to commit crimes when they get out because oh, their yeah. lives They're are gonna... ruined. Yeah. Look at the um, Central Park Five. They were perfect, like perfectly behaved teenage boys that went to prison for a crime that we now, and like at the time, everyone pretty much, not everyone, a lot of people could have easily seen that they were not guilty of. And even after they were released, because the guy that did it confessed and they got DNA evidence that he had done it, a lot of them ended up right back in prison because they had lost all the years when they could have been like getting an education or forming connections or getting real life experience. They were just thrown out in the streets with no money and like no support system and no experience in the real world. And the only thing they could do is commit crimes. Yeah. Which also leads me to my final point, which is, just the act of incarceration increases recidivism. So we have studies showing that as the number of prisoners increase, rates of recidivism increase. And rehabilitation models of punishment, like you talked about, decrease recidivism rates. Yeah. And all this has to do with what we've been talking about, just like taking away these key like years of your life where you should be preparing for the later years of your life and suddenly you're thrown back out as like a 30 year old with like no money, no education. If you went in as a juvenile, you often didn't even finish high school. Yeah. You have no sort of like support system in your community. A lot of times you have very little family left who wants to talk to you. Yeah. The only people you know are other criminals and like, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. Which leads me into my final thing I want to talk about, which is the sex offender registry. And I'm going to start with a, with a story, and then I'm going to go into my, my thesis. So Jacob Wetterling is in Minnesota, and he is with his brother, Trevor, mm. and his close friend, Aaron, Aaron Larson. Is it spelled and like so with Aaron two A's? Jacob, yes. Cool. A-A-Ron. Aaron and Jacob are 11 and Aaron, no, Jacob's younger brother, Trevor is 10. Mm-hmm. So they're having a sleepover. Did they leave? How old were the older ones? Um, they are both 11, but they have a babysitter who's next door. Like she's not like their official babysitter, but she has babysitted in the past. Mm-hmm. And so they're told like, they're supposed to, if anything happens, they're supposed to go next door to the babysitter. Okay. And she knows and she'll be there. I'm not, I wasn't supposed to, I will. I didn't want to mom shame anyone, but that just seemed like they were maybe too young. But that sounds, okay, reasonable. Yeah. And so they want to watch a movie. And so they live out in the middle of nowhere, like in the country. But they can walk to the Tom Thumb convenience store where they rent movies. So they decide to take their bikes to the store and rent a movie and then they'll go back and they'll watch the movie and it'll be no problem. I'm very much picturing Stranger Things. Just them riding around <laughs> on their bikes. Yeah, it's exactly. the 80s. Yeah. yeah, okay. 
Exactly. Cool. <laughs> so they get to the Tom Thumb. They rent their movie. No problems. They're headed back. And on their way back, they're driving down the... Or they're, like, biking down the road. And they pass a driveway. And suddenly this man in a stocking cap steps out with a gun. And they don't know this, but the gun's actually unloaded. You need to tell me what a stocking cap is. I'm not 100% sure. I'm picking... I'm picturing a... a, Actually, I'm picturing a ski mask. (laughs) Oh, that's terrifying. I think it's like a beanie, though. But I I think it's... I'm picturing a ski mask. I'm Googling it. like a a beanie. I think it's a beanie. Wait, what was it called? Was it called stocking hat? Stocking cap. Cap. Okay. No, it's just like one of those that Sherlock Holmes wears. You know, like a... There's no way he's wearing a Sherlock Holmes hat. (laughs) No, it's like a... I got a bunch of beanies when I searched it. Really? A stocking cap. Yeah, I also got some beanies. A stocking cap mask, which is like a balaclava. Mm. I'm picturing a ski mask. He's looking scary. We can all picture a ski mask, and I think that's close enough. Yeah. So he steps out of the driveway, and he tells the boys to throw their bikes into the ditch and lay face down on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so they think that he, well, he has a gun. They think it's loaded. It's not. And so they do. And so he asks all the boys to tell their ages. And so they do. And so then he tells Trevor, the 10-year-old, to run into the woods as fast as he can and not look back or else he's going to be shot. Mm-hmm. And so Jacob, Aaron's older brother, or Trevor's older brother, says, yeah, do it. So Trevor does what he's told and he runs. So then, um, the guy, his name is Danny Heinrich. I'll just spoiler alert it. Danny Heinrich, um, he tells the other two boys to stand up and he like looks them up and down and then he picks up Jacob and he tells Aaron to do the same thing and run into the woods as fast as he can. Don't look back. And so Jacob's like, yeah, Aaron do it. So Aaron does it. And... Then the other two boys regroup. They go home. They get the babysitter. The babysitter calls the mom. Mom comes back. and Have they not they called call the police at this point? Are they just like, <laughs> we I have should... a situation. Uh, you should come home and we can talk about it. <laughs> See what's so the, our next the, step. I think the babysitter's dad actually calls 911. Yeah. Reasonable thing to and do. And so, like, very quickly, like, the... The turnaround is pretty fast. The police are there and they start searching. Mm-hmm. The police come, they search, and they can't find, like, anything. Mm-hmm. Except the driveway... This isn't even on the Wikipedia article. This is all coming out of my own brain. That's how well I now remember this. <laughs> the driveway of the... Um, that the that Danny... Or that, yeah, that Danny Heinrich had come out of. Mm-hmm. Even though there were, like, tire tracks that, like, clearly went in and out of it. Yeah. It belonged to this guy that was not the perpetrator, but, like, he got blamed for it for a long time, and it kind of ruined his life. Yeah. Meanwhile, Danny Heinrich has been committed of similar crime, or... Convicted. Has been (laughs) convicted. Has also committed. he's been charged. Okay. He's been charged with similar crimes. Mm. And 
he's like known to several police in the area as like being that guy that kidnaps children and rapes them. Okay. And so of course, like Jacob's parents are like searching, searching, searching. They can't find him. Eventually they do find him and he is dead. Um, he was actually, I believe I'm, I can't, guarantee this because this is from my own brain but I believe he was killed like within six hours or something mm-hmm. of being kidnapped which like when someone's kidnapped there's a very short amount of time before they're most likely dead Yeah, but he had been kidnapped by um, Heinrich he'd been sexually assaulted and he'd been killed pretty quickly mm-hmm. and so he wasn't found until 2016 and they were able to use dental records to confirm it was him and he was only found when Danny Heinrich had like told them where he was and why did he do that what happened to I think he'd been he'd been arrested for something else or something okay yeah um it was part of a plea bargain. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if it was a plea for Wetterling's death or for something else, because this guy was like a, a serial abductor and rapist. Mm-hmm. But um, during during this whole thing, the Wetterlings try to get this law in place mm-hmm. where they want... A network, like a database of information on anyone that could have committed crimes similar to, like, a sexual assault or an abduction of a child. Yeah. Because during the search, they lived in such a small town that they, like, had to go from police station to police station trying to get these records and this data. And many of the police stations didn't have the data anymore and none of it was in any sort of, like, localized database. Mm -hmm. And so they fought and fought for this law where there would be a national database of this information that police could reference in cases like this when like time is of the essence and they need to have suspects fast and complete these searches fast they can go through and have all this information at their fingertips Mm -hmm. and so while they are searching or while they're fighting for this law there is another case that's happening nearby i don't remember there's a girl nearby um and I really need to have her name because it's actually really important to this story. <laughs> so meanwhile, there is this other girl whose name I will not mention. <laughs> right before they're about to get this law finalized, another family comes forward and tells them their story mm-hmm. about their daughter who a neighbor had kidnapped. And I don't remember the specifics, but she had been assaulted i think also murdered don't quote me on that and it turns out that their neighbor had been convicted of several similar crimes Mm -hmm. prior to this incident yeah and so this family wanted to add just a tiny little clause that not only would this database exist but it would be publicly available Mm. because they would not have lived next door to this guy had they known what he'd been convicted of yeah and they're so close to getting this law finalized that they say yes and they add in that clause. And it it became what we now have, which is our um, sex offender registry. And 
before I get into why the sex offender registry shouldn't exist, I want to say that I think her name's Patty, Patty Wetterling, Jacob Wetterling's mom, mm-hmm. the person who fought so hard for this law to exist mm-hmm. and for this to, yeah, Patty Wetterling, for this to be a thing in the U.S., has now become an advocate for it to not exist. Mm. And she goes and gives talks about why this law is a bad thing and why it shouldn't exist. Yeah. So if you don't believe me, believe Patty Wetterling. Yeah. So here's the thing about the sex offender registry. (laughs) So I am reading this straight off of an infographic that I made. Do it. Um... It says, protecting citizens from sex crime should be a high priority, but does the sex offender registry actually do that? I also, I got 100% on this assignment, but one of my, um, <laughs> one of my classmates, because we have to do peer reviews, was like, I really don't understand why you kept talking about recidivism and, like, sex crimes. Like, the whole, the whole thing just didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and I was like, did you read it or did you just read the title and get pissed off? <laughs> Um, That's so good. Some start, like, this is, I think... edgy content <laughs> coming our way. <laughs> this is what I think finally turned Patty Wetterling against her own law. Mm-hmm. Is its use on adolescents. So children as young as 14 years old have been placed on the sex offender registry for one-time offenses. Mm-hmm. And these one-time offenses can be things like sexting. Like sending a nude picture of themselves yeah. to another 14-year-old. Because... Under the law, that is child distribution of child pornography. Yeah, yeah. child pornography. Um, and as we've already kind of discussed, but like even more so with the sex offender registry, having children put on the sex offender registry just directly impedes any sort of rehabilitation chance they have. Mm-hmm. It makes them much more likely to reconvict. Yeah. There's also no evidence to date that the sex offender registry actually helps law enforcement solve or prevent sex crimes. No. Um, the main focus of the sex offender registry is stranger danger crimes, which we just talked about two of them, but those are really the exception to the rule. Most sex crimes are done by people that you know. Yeah, the problem is not that you not don't people, like know who it was. Not people you know, but yeah. people that... <laughs> My friends and family. People that the, we're all a, <laughs> the victim bunch of, of <laughs> sexual cri- criminals. Um, so yeah, these these laws are all based off of a very small number of extremely essential, sensationalized and not generalizable cases. Mm-hmm. Um, rates for rates of short term recidivism. Rates of, I cannot speak tonight. <laughs> rates of short-term recidivism or committing a crime after conviction. I don't know why I defined that in this. Rates of short-term recidivism are relatively low in sex offenders. And they continue to get lower over time. Mm-hmm. So if you're a sex offender, you're very unlikely to reoffend in general. But also, like, the longer you've, since it's been, since you've committed a sex crime, the less likely you are to recon to recommit. Yeah. But despite this, the sex defender registry lasts a lifetime. Did you say sex defender? <laughs> the sex offender registry lasts a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also 
laws within the sex offender registry that restrict residents. Yeah. So, oh no, I'm running out of battery. We have to wrap this up. <laughs> so, despite schools, playgrounds, and bus stops being relatively unlikely places for sex crimes to occur, yeah, laws exist that restrict registrants from living near these places, which result in homelessness. It's such a weird, so, like, because no one will have a car and, like, drive to, like, the neighboring yeah. town. I know. It doesn't, first of all, it doesn't restrict you from being in this No. <laughs> you can be a registered sex offender and go hang out at a playground, like, every waking hour of the day. That's not illegal. You just can't live near No, one. no. <laughs> and so what happens is they, towns will strategically place, like, playgrounds and schools to prevent there being from, to prevent there being places where sex offenders can live. Yeah. And so as a result, as a sex offender, you have nowhere to live, and so you end up homeless. Yeah. And usually you end up homeless in a camp with other sex offenders. They all lump together in, like, one place yeah. and form a community of sex offenders. Yeah. Which, just thinking about it, that seems like maybe something you'd want to avoid. Yeah, that's a bad... Fertile so ground empirical... for, for crime. <laughs> empirical evidence is inconclusive right now. But there's a number of studies that are pointing towards a possible link between higher levels of recidivism in sex crimes and sex offender registries. Yeah. Um, they also, sex offender registries very clearly hinder reintegration, which is a very key aspect of preventing general recidivism. Mm -hmm. So that's a bad that's thing. That's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, I think sexual, like, um, crime what, wait, what is the word i'm looking for um any type of like crime involved like uh, rape or sexual assault or like yeah. sexual arrest, it has a lot of stigma which i think like makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense in a way but it also creates like you were talking about earlier this othering that like yeah i mean it, it creates a really high threshold for like accepting any type of like sexual misdemeanor yeah. i guess because like if if you're like sexual assault or sexual harassment becomes really stigmatized and then it becomes more difficult to see the gray areas where we maybe need to act and intervene mm -hmm. before it becomes someone who's like out actively raping people like knowing i don't know yeah obviously that's and not everyone a, like a pedophile who like well, rapes really and kills kids statistic where so we, we have tests. We can tell if you're a pedophile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they can hook you up to machines that can sense your arousal. And they can flash a bunch of pictures in front of you of people of all different ages and, like, animals and, like, whatever. and see. For what, men, it feels what... like it would be an, an easy test or <laughs> no. a machine. <laughs> No, like, they can see your, like, brain light up when you see mm, a child. Yeah. And because we have access to that kind of information, we have statistics on, like, whether or not most pedophiles act on their urges. Yeah. And whether or not most people that commit sex crimes against children are pedophiles. Yeah. And, like, this is really upsetting for me to, like, know, but most pedophiles don't ever act on their desires. And most people that commit sex crimes are not pedophiles. No. Um, I believe that sounds, that makes sense. I think that it's not about that a lot of the times. Yeah. It's very much not about 
sexual gratification. Again, like you were talking about, like, circumstance and, like, general, mm-hmm. I don't know, s- state. Like, what kind of situation are you in? Are you able to, like, get help? Are you able to mm-hmm. form relationships of, like, trust with others and, like, I don't know, create some kind of support system or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you are a pedophile and you do have like sexual desires towards children being able to live in a house and work a job and have friends and have family is going to make you a lot less likely to act on those things than being homeless and being surrounded by other people that have also committed sex crimes and feeling hopeless and like your life's never going to improve yeah because then you have something to lose if you actually have like a life Mm -hmm. that's worth something i think a major problem with the sex offender register also seems to be registry maybe no which one Mm -hmm. is the thing you get for your wedding like you get a wedding registry it's registry is for both okay okay same type of thing um it seems like it's very catch-all or like yeah all in like inclusive 14 year old that sent a nude in there with like a 50 year old man that's been raping children every single weekend of his life yeah and like people if you like had sex in a in a public place right which i think yeah people could or do if, like you, without being if you've been peeing in public and someone see like a child sees yeah you, that can get you on the registry it's too much i think yeah my my final point yeah are here's some some statistics reported by people who are on the registry themselves 44 mm-hmm. percent report that they've been threatened by a neighbor 20% say they've been threatened or harassed by somebody else 30% have lost jobs why did I not put this in order from like largest to smallest (laughs) 20% have been forced to move 14% have had property damage and 8% have been physically assaulted Mm. Um, many registrants report report experiencing social isolation and shame both of which have been found to increase recidivism yeah abolish the sex offender registry it's good for you i swear yeah yeah it's a good it's a very good like case study of how mm-hmm. the like yeah also, punishing people have, hurts we don't have public registries for any other crime no like why is a 14 year old that sends a nude marked for the rest of their lives when a like serial killer is not <laughs> yeah. like my next door neighbor could have murdered 20 people and i would have no way of knowing but if they're a pedophile yeah or if they pissed in public i can find that out with a google search yeah but just like as long as like any any serial killer would be like i better not make this sexual because i don't want to like <laughs> risk my future yeah. housing situation all right i think i feel like we maybe didn't figure out crimes completely but we got we got somewhere I think, I we, think have some good. we figured out that we just need to be a little bit more empathetic mm-hmm. towards the killers. Yeah. <laughs> I also <laughs> I also want to talk about another episode. Um, victims' rights. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We can talk about that. I think it's a... Uh, it's a... I wanted to say a complex issue, but complexity is such an overly used <laughs> word, so I'm not going to say that, but I think... I would say it's mainly bad, but it's, it come, no, (laughs) it's easy to trick you into thinking it's good because the things it's saying, like victims should have rights, (laughs) 
that that Are makes good. sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then we should. Uh, Do you have any recommendations? Uh, I watched. It may maybe it's in English. It's called Lilia Forever, and it's a movie. It's a Swedish director, but it's it takes place in the Soviet Union, I think, and it's about like sex trafficking. So it's quite. It's not a lot of fun, but I think it's. Mm-hmm. It was interesting and somehow beautiful, mm. I guess. <laughs> My recommendation is the book Come As You Are. Mm. I don't remember the author. I should probably have that. Um, I went to the bookstore on New Year's Day and bought, like, too many things. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw this book, and I really liked the cover of it. Yeah. It's called Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life by Dr. Emily Nagoski. Oh, yeah. It's um, a It's a joke. <laughs> The title's a joke. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, now. and the the cover has like a a coin purse that's open on it, but it looks like a vagina, <laughs> and I was like, that's gonna look great on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and it can look so great on it. your shelf too. <laughs> but it's actually I have learned a lot from it. It's been very informative. It does include fun worksheets, <laughs> but they're they're fun. <laughs> I, I've liked them. <laughs> All right, I'll look into it. Sounds like a fun. It's book. all about like women's sexuality and like it. It a big focus of it is like the issues that a lot of women have with their sexualities or like having sex in general. Mm-hmm. But it also, I really found it has a chapter where it talks about like vaginas in general, and I found that very inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Talks about frenulums and how the vagina is like the frenulum but a more extreme frenulum all right exciting <laughs> you've piqued my oh, interest maybe it wasn't the frenulum it was i don't know the f- women have a frenulum but it is it's the the seam of the balls that's the vagina <laughs> <laughs> all right exciting i will <laughs> I will have to read this, I think, to fully I've understand. I've been enjoying it. <laughs> it's been very fun for me. <laughs> All right. That, those are the recommendations, then. One sad um, one and one fun one. Follow us on on our social media. You can find it in other episodes. I'm not going to look it up. My, my, <laughs> my laptop's at 3%. Yeah, I think you can... You'll If you're on the... If you're listening to this... You'll have like the information close by. You yeah, you can find it. And I also I read that you can rate us on Spotify now, which you could do in the past. So do that, but only if you're gonna rate us yeah. five stars. <laughs> no bad reviews, please. Okay, bye. Bye everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs>